photograph on the right is uh, the last time we were at an event, and that was actually the Solo Retreat. When was that? 2012? Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, so how many of you guys were there? I think... Yeah, that was pretty cool. That's when uh, Bill Vu and Jennifer performed for us. And so that was the last uh, event that I was at out here. That was a long time ago. Um, and this is a more current picture of my family. Uh, a lot of you guys know uh, my wife, Ariel. She uh, is really wishing she was here with us this weekend. Uh, but as I've told several of you, you know, we've got school-age kids. And so coming in the middle of the school year, finding somebody to watch them and take care of them so we could both get away at the same time was kind of tough. Uh, but her heart's here, and I, I sent her a picture of the camp earlier and was like, man, I wish you were here. Um, I've also been sending her pictures of food from all my favorite restaurants. Over here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it wasn't as nice, but anyway. Uh, I got another picture I want to show you. This was taken in 1983. Um, guess which one I am? One of the top? Yeah, the little guy. Um, I'm the little guy uh, there. I was three years old in that photograph. Um, now, does my family, I mean, do we look relatively normal in this photo here? I mean, do we, do we look relatively normal? Okay. In the next photograph, did my family look relatively normal? Yeah. Okay. To the era. What's that? To the era. To the era, yeah. I mean, it would look kind of weird today, but, you know, for 1983, we were doing all right. Um, it's funny because family photos are like that. I mean, you can look at a family photograph and everybody's smiling, everybody's got their nice clothes on, everybody's uh, fine, right? It reminds me of the normal Sunday morning at the average church. I go in, everybody's smiling. How you doing? What do you say? Fine! <laughs> right? That's the standard pat answer. And, and you know, I've... Uh, I've traveled a lot, and I've been an minister now for, I guess, a dozen years, and, and done a lot of traveling, a lot of speaking, uh, education, talked to a lot of different uh, pastors and preachers all over the country. Um, you want to know what one of the biggest problems I see and that other church leaders see uh, who have eyes for it in our country and in our culture and churches right now? these shallow relationships that we have with one another. This how you doing, I'm fine culture that a lot of us have lived in uh, or a lot of us begin to live in when we start attending church. And uh, that looks like a normal family, right? But what if I told you that little blonde-headed, curly-haired kid grew up to commit every sin on this board up here? that I wrote. Do you guys see the crap that's on that board? And that's just a sample. So what I'm going to do in this session tonight, guys, I'm going to tell you a story about how a little kid who grows up in a seemingly healthy family turns into a man through his grown up years who does all this stuff. And guys, again, that's just what I could fit on the board. I really wanted a full-size whiteboard. They brought me this little one, so that's what you get. Uh, but you know, you work with what you got, right? Um, I'm a jacked up human being. I'm a messed up dude. What I didn't tell you is uh, I show you this picture on purpose because that's how old I was when I started getting molested. Uh, there was a pedophile in my neighborhood um, who, molested a bunch of kids that were older than me. And in the neighborhood I grew up in, um, I was the youngest and the smallest in my neighborhood. 
And all these kids that were older than me got molested by this pedophile up the street, and then they turned around and they did something called revictimization, which is they turned around and they started victimizing all the, the other kids in the neighborhood. I was the youngest and the smallest, so guess who got it the worst? I did. And if any of you guys in here have ever studied the effects of sexual abuse on a person, it does some horrible, horrible things to a person. Um, it, it makes you feel like something is wrong with you, that you're inherently bad. When it happens when you're as young as I am, or as I was, um, when you're three, four, five years old, you're still getting your worldview formed for your life. Like you, what happens to you during those years, like that forms how you see everything, how you see yourself, how you see God, how you see others. And so all that trauma that I experienced, guys, uh, I won't get into the details, but it was very severe. Like the stuff that happened to me is worse than what happened to most people who need some serious counseling. Um, and it went on for a number of years. Uh, I was molested on and off for, uh, from the ages of about three to six. Um, and I can remember as a four-year-old little boy having sexual fantasies. And that's how I would go to sleep at night. Usually when you're molested, um, it causes your sexuality to do one of two things. You either become hypersexual, which is your sexuality goes into hyperdrive, or you become completely closed off to sexuality. And studies that have been done found that a lot of women, young, young girls who are molested, become completely closed off to sexuality. The majority, about 70%, about 30% become hypersexual. Most of the young boys that are molested go to the hypersexual end, just about all of them. Uh, but there are some that you know, are closed off. I went to the hypersexual end. And so I remember as a four-year-old going to church with my mom and dad. My dad, by the way, is a preacher. He, he's uh, fairly well known in our part of the world. Going to church with him on Sunday, listening to dad preach. Mom's a church secretary. Our life revolved around church because they didn't know this stuff would happen to me. All they knew was their four-year-old started acting crazy. And I started, uh, I became violent. I became the kid that was always in trouble and always acting up. I had all this anger inside me. You know, I didn't know how to express it other than to, with my fist or my fingernails or my teeth or, you know, just I was, I was a mean little kid. And that's how the people at church knew me. That's the, that's the preacher's boy, the mean little kid. And so my parents, to counteract that, disciplined me pretty hard. And so all I knew of church when I went on Sunday is I was getting a spanking when I got home. I hated church from, a little, from a, being a little kid hated church. I also felt like I was inherently bad. Because one of the things that uh, abuse does to you is there's something called uh, ambivalence, where this really bad thing and this violation, it feels horrible, but at the same time there's pleasure associated with it. Because God designed your bodies to work a certain way, and when they're touched a certain way, there are physiological reactions that just happen that is, you have no control over. And so there's this sense of pleasure and also this sense of horror and uh, this sense of violation and, and just a whole, whole lot of confusion where I knew what was happening to me was bad, but it felt good and my body reacted a certain way to it, so I must be bad. Because I kind of, at some level, like this bad stuff that's happening to me. And so I'm bad. 
and so I'm going to be bad. Little kid growing up that way. And so, guys, I was bad. I was. And uh, at first, it was in secret. You know, it's, I acted out some, but a lot of these thoughts, my thought world and these fantasies I was having, I didn't tell anybody about that stuff. Uh, I discovered masturbation at the age of 10. Um, I discovered pornography before that from some neighbors. Uh, I was addicted to porn before I was in elementary school almost. Um, guys, it was just, it, but, but all of it was this inner world. I didn't share it with anybody. And so in my inner world, I'm bad. In my outer world, I'm going to church on Sundays. How are you doing, Wes? I'm fine. But I wasn't. But I didn't, I didn't have any, any way to share that at that age. Guys, as I got older and, uh, and went to school, uh, I got picked on pretty bad. I was kind of an awkward kid. Um, another thing that abuse does to you is because you feel like you're bad, if you think people are going to see how bad you are if they get close to you, do you think you're going to let anybody get close to you? No. And so relationally, you go through life like this. You're holding everybody at a distance. You're holding everybody back. You're not letting anybody get close to you. And on the inside, you've got all these thoughts and all these feelings and all this crap, all this darkness inside. And you don't want anybody to see that darkness because if they see that darkness, what are they going to do? They're going to reject you. And that's my deepest fear deep down is being rejected. I want to be loved. And so I at an early age, learned that the way I needed to be loved was to put up a front, was to fake it. And, and it was to excel at, at sports or things that I put my mind to. I found my self-worth in uh, playing baseball and being really good at baseball or being really good at video games or being really good at whatever it is I put my mind to. I was a consummate overachiever and I did very well and performed highly. And, and got awards and recognition and pats on the back. And that made me feel better. But deep down, as I still had all this darkness inside, I still felt like a piece of crap inside. When I was uh, about 14, uh, I was exposed for the first time to uh, drug and drugs and alcohol. Uh, and I became uh, a person who really thrived in that world. Uh, growing up where I grew up, uh, the big drug was, was just smoking weed back, back in the 90s. Um, and so I, I started smoking weed when I was 15. Uh, got to where I was smoking it every day. I was smoking about a quarter of weed a day. Uh, I got exposed to LSD back in those days. I got exposed to cocaine, ecstasy, and like, you know, it was just sort of that gateway to the subculture of this world. And I discovered self-medication through substance abuse. And... Uh, you know, if I had told you guys the sto my story a few years ago, I would have described myself as a former drug addict. But since then, and, and just so some of the help in my journey, the help I've gotten on my journey and the counsel I've gotten from wise people, I, 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 I believe the only reason I became a drug addict is because I was abused when I was a little kid. I think if I hadn't been abused like that, I wouldn't have felt the need to dive into this world with both feet and become as addicted to drugs as I was, but I did. And so by the time I graduated high school, guys, I was strung out. 
uh, pretty bad. And my family, like, I got kicked out of school. Like I said, my family was Christian. They didn't know what to do with me by the time I was graduating high school. Like, I was a mess. I was on all kinds of drugs. I moved out of the house. I was living with a bunch of my buddies in an apartment where we packed six guys in and, you know, just drank and smoked. And uh, we were just always on something. Always, always, always. It was like the party place. And guys, I got so sad during that time. Um, it was really rough. But I did end up going to college. And uh, I tried to find an industry to work in that was compatible with my lifestyle. Because up to that point in my life, and by the way, a lot of this stuff that I put up here, um, I did when I was a teenager. Um, and it was a lot of drug fuel, just stupidity. Um, some of the sexual things, but like the other things, they were just my world, like pride and hatred and uh, just all that stuff, self-centeredness, it's all about me, whatever feels good to me, I'm the only one that matters, the world revolves around me, that was my world. And so when I started thinking about an industry to get into, uh, I thought, well, I looked at some of my heroes, like I liked watching MTV, I liked rock music, I liked uh, listening to the radio, which radio was big uh, where I grew up. It was before, you know, the iPods and cell phones and all that stuff. People actually listened to the radio. Um, and uh, some of my favorite people were my, were my DJs at my local rock station. And I saw the lifestyle they were able to live. You know, they got all these privileges, they had all these uh, free drinks at all the bars. I decided that that would be the career that I would pursue. And so I went to college at the University of Central Arkansas, and uh, I got into radio, television, and film program. And within about a year and a half, I got my first job at a radio station in Memphis, Tennessee, a station called 941 The Buzz, which was uh, in Memphis. It was a really big deal at the time. And uh, I instantly, overnight, um, became kind of a local celebrity in a major city. Uh, tied to a station that was all about drinking and drug use and music. And so guess what I was into just about every single night? I was going to a concert, or I was going to a bar, or I was going out. I had my own limo service that I could call up and cart me around. Um, and and I, I just, I went crazy. It was like I was living in a movie. I was hanging out with bands. I was doing all this stuff. And I, you know, for years, guys, I, I kind of have this vision that that would make me happy. That would, like all this darkness I was carrying around in myself, like if I could achieve that goal and become that guy, that was going to fulfill me. That was going to make me feel better. That was going to make me happy. But guess what happened? The opposite. When I started living that lifestyle, it was fun at first, but it was like I was throwing all this stuff in this hole, this bottomless pit that would never be filled. And it was just a waste of life and energy. And guys, have you guys ever studied the uh, story of King Saul in 1 Samuel? Like, probably my biggest struggle back then was uh, this really deep-seated insecurity where I felt like I, my self-worth was tied to my circumstances and my performance. King Saul is a really good example of that in Scripture. If you go study his story, um, he's the first king of Israel. Uh, he's called to be king, and they have this big inauguration ceremony for him where they bring all the tribes together. I think it's around 1 Samuel 6, 7, 8, something like that. They bring all the tribes together, and guess where King Saul is? He's hiding in the luggage. 
because he's afraid to get up in front of those people. Because Samuel came to him and said, God chose you to be king. And Saul said, but I'm from the smallest tribe of the weakest group. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. How could he choose me to be king? I'm, I'm nothing. Like, I have nothing. How could he use me? And then he goes and hides. And he, he runs away from God's call. He felt like a piece of, a piece of junk. And uh, then he becomes king. And he goes and has a little bit of military success after he becomes king. And guys, what is he doing by 1 Samuel 15? He's building monuments to himself. Because that's what insecurity does. There's two ditches. Insecurity. You will either live in the ditch of despair or the ditch of pride. That's where you're going to live. And for me and my circumstances in my life, when, I, when things weren't going good for me, guess where I was living? In that ditch of despair. But as soon as I got a little bit of success and got that radio gig and started feeling like a somebody and people knew who I was, guess what ditch I moved over to? Pride. And I'm better than you and look at me. I'm great. You're not. You know, I'm, I'm awesome. You're not. Uh, that was my attitude. And so guess how many friends I had during that, <laughs> that time I was at the bus? Not very many. Um, drug use intensified. Uh, happiness went away. I ended up losing that job because I kept getting drunk before I would come and get on the radio and I puked lasagna all over the office steps and they fired me, uh, which is kind of funny now. Um, but uh, I got another, another job at another station. I worked, uh, I was a sidekick for Bobby Bones for a while um, and then I worked at this other station, but uh, like I just, I just wrecked my life. Like I lost all those jobs and um, you guys got to remember um, I had structured my life around getting this stuff because I just felt like without it, I was a nobody. Um, I saw the wicked people around me and all the stuff they had. And uh, I mean, that, that, that even started like in high school. Before I started using drugs, I saw who was cool at my high school. Oh, these are the cool people, the wicked people. These are the ones who are cool at my high school. I'm going to be like them. So that's, that's even the motivation for why I started using drugs in the first place. It's because I wanted to be cool. And it also felt good. But it was really because I wanted to be cool. And so I lost these jobs in radio. I moved back to Little Rock, which is where I grew up. Intensified the drug use. Got on coke really bad. Uh, got hired at the Little Rock Dragway after I lost my jobs at the radio stations in Little Rock. Um, and I would go and work two days a week on a Friday and a Saturday. I would go on Friday and call the races. This was a drag strip where you could like bring your own car and pay, you know, and go, go race. And then the next day, um, we had like more professional drag racers that would come in and I would call the races for that. So I would make like 200 bucks in a weekend. I literally would go back to my apartment. I would sit $5 aside to eat on. Five bucks. And, uh... I would spend the rest of that money, 195 bucks, on drugs. And I would spend $1 a day on food. I would go to Burger King, and I would get a dollar burger, and that was my meal for the day. And I would go back, and I would look at porn, and I would chase after women, and I would do drugs, and I would stay at my apartment. If I wasn't at my apartment, I was hooking up with some chick somewhere. And that was how I lived. That was it. And I was so unhappy. Life was so horrible uh, that... I ran out of drugs one day, and it, whenever you're high all the time, and then you run out of drugs and your life sucks, you start feeling. 
And that's, that's why you stay high, is because you don't feel. It's not that you feel better, it's that you just don't feel at all. Well, I'd run out of drugs, and I'd run out of money, and I had eviction notices sitting on my desk, and I had uh, my water shut off. I was about to get my gas shut off. My trash wasn't being picked up. Like, I just quit paying my bills. Uh, I didn't care. And I started seriously contemplating suicide. Like, for the first time, for real. Like, I am going to kill myself. This is not worth it. This sucks. My family, they loved me, but they had had it with me. They didn't know what to do. Like, this was years of them trying to reach me. They didn't know all this garbage was in my heart. They just knew I was messed up, and they didn't know why. Um, I was seriously, seriously contemplating ending it. And guys, it was the weirdest thing. Which, by the way, I'm not one of those guys who's real keen on people coming and saying, the Lord spoke to me. Uh, because growing up, usually when somebody said, the Lord told me, it's something crazy. And no, he didn't. Uh, you're nuts. And I don't think you're a Christian. Like, you know, that's usually, like, because what you're doing is crazy and ungodly. Like, anyway, um, I didn't grow up learning, you know, God speaks to you. God does this. God does that. And so this is going to sound weird to some of you. Um, but it wasn't like an audible voice from heaven. It wasn't like this booming, you know, light-filled room or anything. But there was just this little, all I can describe it as is knowledge of a voice that said, go get your Bible. And I, that happened. I'm sitting, on, I'm sitting on my couch in my living room thinking about killing myself, seriously about to plot out how I'm going to do it. And then this knowledge of a voice, and I'm sober, this knowledge of a voice in my heart, says, go get your Bible. And I'm like, was that a flashback from LSD? You know, like, what, what was that? And I'm like, okay. I have this Bible in a box um, that my parents had bought me for my senior graduation present from high school. My other friends were getting trips to Cancun. My other trips were getting new cars, or other friends were getting new cars. Like, they were getting all this cool stuff. My parents bought me a little Zondervan, NIV. It didn't even have the study notes in the bottom. Right? It was just like, are you kidding me? The only thing I could use that Bible for, and this is a true story, is ripping pages out of it to roll joints when I didn't have any rolling papers. So you open up the front cover, and it's like, oh, there's, there was, okay, yeah, I see what you did there. I ripped them out. To, that, was what, that was the use that that thing had for me. It had been sitting in a box in my back bedroom. I hadn't bothered to open that thing to read it. Screw that. There's no God. Did I mention I didn't really believe in God? I thought this was all a fairy tale. I thought all you church people were wasting your lives. I thought my parents were crazy because they were really zealous. They were freaking nuts. So I guess you could describe me as agnostic. Maybe there's a God, but if there is, I don't really care. I'm going to go get high. And if he, if he really is there, he let guys rape me when I was a little kid, so screw him. Go get your Bible. Okay. So I go get this little Zondervan Bible, and I plop it down, and I, I'm you know, thinking, like, what am I doing? Okay. And then for the first time... I pray. And this prayer went a little something like this. I'm like, God, if you're real, 
I don't even know if you're really there. But if you're real, I'm going to open up this Bible and I want you to speak to me. And if you speak to me, I'll believe, I'll believe you. Like, I'll believe in you. And that, that's great because I don't have anything else to live for right now. If you're not real, I'm going to go kill myself. But if you're real, I'm going to follow you. You guys got Bibles? Okay, look at what I flopped open to. You can use a real Bible or your fake one on your cell phone like me. Um, open up to Psalm 73. my Bible open and I started reading Psalm 73 and here's what it says surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart but as for me my feet had almost slipped I had nearly lost my foothold for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked that caught my attention. I thought I had problems. Nobody else did. And he goes on. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. These are the celebrities that I looked up to that I wanted to emulate. They're not plagued by human ills. They don't have problems. Everything's good with them. See their life? They're on the cover of those magazines. Everything looks so good. They got no problems. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They live in the ditch of pride. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. That's sin. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. You ever listen to Kanye West? Uh, <laughs> With arrogance, they threaten oppression. If somebody comes up against them at a club, guess what I can do? I can snap my fingers and have you thrown out. Better get out of my face. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Do you guys have any idea the horrible things that I've said on a 50,000 watt radio station over an extended period of time? The kids I influenced to do drugs. The girls I got to come up to the station who were married that I messed around with. Like, just all the... Uh. Therefore, but guess what? These people that are boasting and that are arrogant and are proud, they have fans. They have people listening to them. They have people following them. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They applaud. They tell them, you're great. You're awesome. Um... They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I'd spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And there's a movement in the psalm at this point. 
Now what I didn't tell you guys is that as I was reading this psalm, as I was connecting with this word from God, tears started streaming down my face. Because this encapsulated my life up to this point. And that same knowledge of a voice that said, go get your Bible, a few minutes before, was repeating, I love you, I love you, I love you, over and over again in my heart. Guys, I didn't know it, but my parents had become so afraid. Like they had seen me become skinny as a rail. They, they saw that I wasn't leaving the house. They knew that I was using more. They saw their son dying. And as a, as a man with kids, I can't imagine watching my children just fade like I was, like my parents had to watch me. I didn't know they had scheduled a prayer meeting with their church for me like two days before this. And they had prayed that God would do something because they had tried everything and they couldn't reach me. So they prayed that God would move by Himself and do something to reach me and to show me that He was real. And that happened. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Over and over as I keep reading. And I had been so concerned about becoming like one of these wicked people that you know, didn't believe in God. I lost all the view that my parents had taught me about how this, the lives of these people are going to end up if they don't repent. Because you keep going. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. And this guy was a leader of God's people, and he, this was an internal struggle for him, which is why he says what he says in verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He was a worship leader. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And here is the fulcrum, the change, the movement from his self-centered attitude to a focus on God in the psalm. In verse 17, he says, I tried to understand all this in 16. It troubled me deeply. Then verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Guys, when we come into contact with God, when we form a relationship with God, God means for our perspectives to change. He means for our worldview to change. He means for us to see Him in the proper light. And when we see Him in the proper light and understand His love for us and His concern for us despite our problems, despite our afflictions, despite our abuse, despite our disease, despite our despair, despite all the crap this world falls upon us, throws upon us. When we see God, we can see all that in the proper light. And instead of being jealous of all these wicked people who seem to have everything, who adore the covers of magazines, who you hear on the radio, who you hear in music, whose lives are a wreck, but they don't care, and they are arrogant, and their mouths lay claim to everything, 
When we see them as God sees them, we understand unless they repent, their lives are nothing. They're destined for destruction. Asaph enters into relationship with God. He enters the sanctuary of God. And his whole view of everything changes. He says in verse 18, speaking of these people he had wanted to be like, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like dreams when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Guys, he came to understand there's going to come a day when God's going to come back and He's going to make everything right. And our job between now and then is to make sure that we're right and to make sure we bring as many people with us as possible. That's our job on this earth. Asaph came to understand all this. Guys, do you understand this is the biggest, deepest, darkest struggle this man ever had? He's telling you his life story in this. And guess what he's doing? He's ministering to you through it. He's telling you about his deepest, darkest secrets. And he's ministering to you through it. He's saying, look at what Lord, the Lord brought me through. And he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. That's what depression does. Uh, that's what despair does. Uh, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And guess what else? I will tell all of your deeds. Guys, I had that experience on that couch and I read through this psalm and I sat on my couch and blubbered for a long time. Because when you realize that there actually is a God, and I grew up going to church, I knew if there's a God, He knows everything. He knows all your secrets. He can see everything. He knows all the hairs on your head. I know all the Bible verses. But I'm this guy. And so you're telling me the God of all creation is telling this guy, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Guys, if he loves me and all the stuff I've done, what makes any of you guys think he may not love you? I didn't change completely that day. I came to believe in God. Oh, by the way, after that, after I kind of gained my composure, after sitting on that couch, I, uh, I kind of got it together a little bit, and I was like, that's how this Bible works. You flip it open and look at it and see what it says. Let me try that again. Do not test the Lord your God. <laughs> that was the next scripture that I saw. Okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> Just a side note, I want to caution you in telling this story. I don't think my story is typical. Guys, I was unfaithful. Uh, 
my, I grew up, for all intents and purposes, besides the junk that happened to me, a pretty good household. Besides the junk that happened to me outside of my house, I grew up in a pretty good household. My parents love the Lord. To this day, they will not retire. They run a rehab center for women with children that are addicted to drugs. And they, they're in their, in their 70s. They're still studying the Bible with, baptizing, and discipling young women. I grew up in that environment. But I was unfaithful. Gideon telling God, I'm going to test you. I'm going to throw this fleece out there. Guys, that was an act of cowardice and unfaithfulness. I'm not telling you this story to say this is pre prescriptive. This is what you should go do if you struggle with your belief in God. Because, guys, the Bible says, blessed are those who don't see and believe. Blessed are those who don't have to go through all the junk that I've gone through. I'm telling you this story to encourage you, but I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, if God doesn't do something like that for me, then uh, he's not real. I think what God would tell you tonight is, no, you just need to listen to that dude that I sent <laughs> and all the other people because that was my word to you, okay? So don't leave here going and trying that stuff. Uh, if my parents hadn't prayed for me and had a whole bunch of people praying for me, and guys, to this day, when I go speak places, there are people that come up to me that I have never met, and they say, I prayed for you for years because I knew your parents, and they asked me to, and I did. It wasn't just their little church group. It was a lot of people. Um, so just side note. Um, that began the process of my change. Do you want to know what helped me fully change and commit my life to the Lord? Yeah. It was community. Amen. It was a campus ministry down in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I had enlisted in the Marine Corps. Um, I did not get in because I had high blood pressure. And so uh, my dad said, well, they told me to go train for another month. He said, uh, well, if you're going to go train, why don't you go, uh, you know, do it on the beach? And I was thinking, what are you talking about? He said, well, you know, we know a family down, and I was living in Arkansas at the time. He said, we know a family down in, uh, in Florida who will take you in. Gary and Zoe Lambert. Gary is a preacher, which I've known for years. I'm telling that for your benefit. Um, you can go down there and stay with the Lamberts. And you can just run on the beach. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. Arkansas, beach, we'll go down there. Um, excuse me, I just burped. Um, <laughs> we're being vulnerable tonight. Um, so I, I go down there, and my dad had sent money down, and I'm supposed to stay with Gary Lambert for three weeks, thinking I'm going down there to run on the beach. What I didn't know was this was all a big trick. Because my dad knew that they had a campus ministry down there that was super evangelistic, that were really good with reaching out to lost people, and they sent his long-haired, you know, cigarette-smoking, beer-drinking son down to be around these college students under the guise of running on the beach. Um, not only that, but he had sent money down there to Gary instead of giving it to me because I was a drug addict. Um, he sent it to Gary, and he told Gary. Uh, make it work for this. And so what Gary had done was he had ordered a hundred Bibles and had them in a case and put evangelistic Bible studies in the front cover of each one. And my job to get my beer money was to go underline the verses in those Bibles. Um, and so that's what I did. I went to the church office with him. And I 
and he paired me with their campus minister, who uh, is the only man to have ever, only American to have ever been inducted into the World Karate Association Hall of Fame, a guy named Lynn Stringfellow. Uh, he's the guy that brought kickboxing to the United States, and he was a trainer. Uh, for kickboxing, he trained Del Paul Cook, who was the five-time world uh, heavyweight kickboxing. He taught him karate and taught him kickboxing. He's trained Ronda Rousey. He's trained John Jones. He's trained Graf Faber. He's trained a lot of big guys. Uh, he still is a trainer, but he's the guy that uh, really studied the Bible with me and, and played a major part in leading me to the Lord. So I thought he was cool because uh, he could kill people with his bare hands. <laughs> I just thought that was cool at that time in my life. Um, but what was really cool, guys, is they plugged me into their ministry, and those guys down there loved on me. Um, and I was able to, even though God had been working on me, I was able to fully get committed to the Lord because of my experience with community. And guess what the topic of this weekend is? Community! community right on! Um, I told you this story tonight, guys, not because I'm a narcissist and like telling the story. I hate telling the story. Uh, because when I tell this story, it, on some level I relive parts of it that I would just as soon not live. Um, but I tell you this story because I think uh, the greatest barrier to community is a lack of vulnerability. Um, and you cannot have deep relationships where there is no vulnerability. And so I got, uh, how are we doing on time? Good. Okay. I just got, I've got a couple more scriptures. What time am I supposed to be done? 10, 15? Sure, that sounds good. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I've got a couple of scriptures that I want to share with you in a moment. Um, but this idea of vulnerability is something that has been hard for me. Because, okay, I've told you guys what's happened to me. Do you think when I got baptized that all my baggage went away? No. From all the stuff that I've been through? No. No, it didn't. It, it, it Becoming a Christian isn't like you get this magic wand waved over you and, and now you're good. Um, guys, I still felt inherently bad uh, because I hadn't dealt with my issues after I was baptized. And by the way, I was baptized in 2004 on Father's Day. Uh, I got my dad to do it. Um, and we did it at church in front of people. And I told the people when I was there, I was like, hey, I'm doing this in front of this whole church because I want all of you to hold me accountable. And they all knew what a wreck I was. Um, that was very, very apparent. Um, you remember how I talked earlier about Saul living either in despair or pride? When I got baptized, which ditch do you think I might have gone to? Pride? I'm good now. I'm saved. Yeah, I'm going to go reach my friends. I'm better than you guys. You should listen to me. I know more. Hey, here's a Bible. It's in your face. Why aren't you listening to me? You're going to hell. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty prideful. Um, very zealous. Very evangelistic. I ended up raising money and moving down to Tampa and working with that ministry. Got into ministry. That's kind of important. Uh, was a professional speaker as a non-Christian. Started communicate using my gift of communication in a, a religious setting started getting pats on the back started having people telling me you did a good job and it, guys it all went to my head every little bit of it went to my head went to bible college at harding university um got a degree 
was approached about moving to San Francisco to work with this struggling church to start a campus ministry. Moved there at the end of 2008, started working with this church, thinking, I graduated from Bible college, I know everything. Didn't connect with the people there. Guys, that, that, uh, that old garbage from the abuse, where you go through life like this, holding everybody at a distance, Guys, I still was living like, I ain't got no problems. How you doing? I'm fine. Uh, not telling anybody my sin, not confessing, passing myself off as a real know-it-all, a real arrogant jerk, which I still, guys, I still have a reputation in some circles as kind of an arrogant, mean, abrasive guy because of the way I acted for so many years as a minister. Um... Ended up leaving San Francisco, uh, which, funny story about Francis Chan, if anybody wants, wants to hear it sometime. Uh, I'm not going to tell it right now. I'll just whet your appetite with that. Uh, but had an opportunity to work with them and was not allowed to uh, because of uh, some stuff at my church. And that kind of is what led to me moving away. And guys, when I decided to move from San Francisco in 2012, I had no idea how many issues that I had because I had... Up to that point in my life, still thought this stuff that happened to me as a little kid was no big deal. Um, and I ended up moving to a church in St. Louis uh, that not only is extremely evangelistic, they're also uh, very wise in, in helping people develop spiritually. And we've got a preacher there, which a lot of you guys know, Robert Cox. And he gets up every Sunday and he preaches, and he's also very careful and quick to mention that his great-grandfather sexually molested him as he was growing up, and he's all messed up from it. And uh, so that's kind of the environment I went into. We've got ministries there that, that help people that have had that kind of trauma. And uh, I've been able to get help in the last few years because people saw characteristics in me and started asking questions and found out this stuff that I had never told anybody. And that led to me sharing a lot more. Um, and so, guys, I'm, I'm very comfortable getting up and telling you my deepest, darkest secrets because I do it all the time. And uh, let me show you why. Uh, open up your Bibles to First John. We're going to look at a couple scriptures real quick and then uh, wind down. But uh, this is what uh, we're going to kind of work out of this weekend. Tonight was just meant to be an introduction. Uh, and and uh, I'll just start reading. It's going to be up here on the thing, too. Um, but it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now that's kind of... Religious sounding language if you're not used to reading the scriptures, but he's saying he's talking about Jesus This is written by Jesus's best friend as an old man and he's talking about seeing Jesus firsthand He's an eyewitness. He saw him years before um, He but all this stuff about Jesus living dying being buried raising from the dead like he saw it with his own eyes He's an eyewitness and so uh, You know, he's, he's just uh, talking about Jesus there and then he says in verse 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, talking about the experience with Jesus. 
so that, or for the reason that, you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you guys know what the word fellowship means in the Bible? The Greek word uh, is koinonia, and it means a mutual sharing. Um, if you have fellowship with someone, it's a mutual sharing. You, you, you share time. You may share resources. You may share, uh, you may share all kinds of things, but you also may share the, the deepest secrets and darkest secrets you have. And you're comfortable doing that. Just ask yourself, am I comfortable doing that? Because if you're not, if you have secrets, you don't have fellowship. This isn't something that's taught very often. But guys, just, just think, if I have secrets, I don't have fellowship. So just think to yourself, don't answer this out loud, but what are my secrets? Do I have secrets? How scary would it be to share this? Pretty scary. But you get used to it. Um, I also want to point out, he says, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. So we're, we're telling you about Jesus because we want you guys to have fellowship with us. But then he goes on to say, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our, collectively, our fellowship is with the Father, God, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Guys, what is the basis for Christian fellowship? Relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you will not be able to have fellowship with other people as God intended. You need a healthy relationship with God. Okay, so ask myself, do I love God? Do I struggle in my relationship with God? The less healthy your relationship with God is, the more you're going to struggle with relationship with God's people. That's the way it works, guys. You need a healthy relationship with God, okay? So uh, he goes on. In verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. Now he's going to shift and uh, start talking a little different here. He said, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is what? God is light, and in Him there is no what? Darkness. There is no darkness in God. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have what? Fellowship with Him. Who said light? If we, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the what? Darkness. We lie and do not live out the truth. Guys, if we claim to have fellowship with God and walk in the darkness, we lie. You are a liar. I love God. It don't work like that, right? Walking in the darkness is willfully living in sin. Walking in the darkness is also not sharing the sins that you struggle with, with your brothers and sisters. How you doing? I'm fine. You walking in the darkness? <laughs> you know a better question to ask? Where are you at right now? I'm fine. Oh, 
wait, that answer doesn't work. Uh, where are you at right now? That's a better question to ask. If we claim we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth, but... Oops, I had it open something else. But, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have what? Fellowship. With who? We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light. Guys, anytime you see the word if in your Bible, you ought to circle it. That's a conditional sentence. There's a cool thing you can do in Greek. Um, which I, I don't like to bring this up all the time, but uh, I've done a lot of work with the languages. Um, and so this is kind of a neat thing, but if you can, the opposite is true in conditional sentences. So let me, let me read the opposite of this. If we do not walk in the light as he is in the light, we do not have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, does not purify us from all sin. Does that kind of change it a little bit? Yeah. You can even translate it that way if you wanted to. It's acceptable. Same force. So how important is it to walk in the light? Okay. Now he's going to get a little bit more specific about what he means by walking in the light in the next verse. He says in verse 8, you want to learn how to walk in the light? Listen, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But look at this. If we do what? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will do what? He'll forgive us our sins. What if we don't feel like confessing our sins? What if we just don't want to? Guys, this is 100% voluntary. Just so you know, follow the Lord, 100% voluntary. Adam and Eve in the garden, don't eat that. 100% voluntary if you want to. He let them go ahead and do it. By the way, it didn't work out. Inherent in a relationship with God is choice. Inherent in a relationship with another person is choice. Guys, if you don't want to confess your sins, you don't have to. But here's what the Bible says. No man's going to come to you and say, you have to do this. You don't have to. I have no authority to tell you what you have to do. The only authority I have is, here's what's going to happen according to your choices that you make in life. You get to make your own choices. Part of being created in the image of God is being given the freedom to choose. One of the reasons God is so good is because He doesn't have to be. He chooses to be. We get to choose whether we're going to follow Him or not because we were created in His image. So if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not us, but if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. Guys, you know why I can get up and tell you my sins? Because they don't count no more. None of this stuff is counted against me. And there's more to it. Flip over to Ephesians 4 real quick. Last scripture I want to look at here. Ephesians 4, I think, uh, let me look here, verse... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5. Do I have it up there? Yeah. Uh, go ahead and flip over to it, please. 
think it's 11. Oh, is it not working? Ah, we'll go to 8. Ephesians 4, verse 8. I think that's where I started on the slide anyway. It says, uh, he's talking to a group of people who've given their lives to the Lord. This is Paul writing now. He says, for you were once in what? Darkness. You were once in darkness. But now you are what? Light in the Lord. And so you should live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he says, and find out what pleases the Lord. How do you find out what pleases the Lord? Read the Bible. Scriptures? Exactly. Maybe wise counselors that know the scriptures too. Maybe ask questions. Maybe not be prideful and pretend like you know everything. Um, there's all kinds of good ways. But yeah, the scriptures would be the primary source. That's how we find out what pleases the Lord. Guys, how's your quiet times? Do you spend time with the Lord? I get up every morning and I start my day off reading scriptures and praying every day. Um, I usually start out reading uh, like 31 chapters in Proverbs. So I'll usually read whatever chapter of Proverbs corresponds with the day of the month. So today was the 21st chapter of Proverbs. Tomorrow will be the 22nd chapter of Proverbs. Uh, I usually read a chapter of Psalms. And then I'll usually read another book that I'm studying. Um, I, I just finished up Ephesians this week. I'm going to start on something else tomorrow. I don't know what yet. Um, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my scriptures in the morning. And uh, I do that because I want to find out what the will of God is. I want to know it. Because I want to live by it. Yeah. Um, and he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather what? How do you do that? Confession. Confession. You talk about it, right? Here's what I've done. Here's what I struggled with. Here's what I need help with. Maybe open yourself up to letting other people tell you what you need help with too. Because we're not always self-aware. I know I'm not. And then there's this crazy verse, verse 12. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. How many of you guys did I make uncomfortable tonight? Raise your hand. Nobody, you liars! Uh, look, the truth is, okay, we got some back there that aren't lying. Uh, the truth is, when you get up and you talk about shameful topics, and the reason you guys aren't more of you raising your hands is because you're ashamed to admit it. See? Uh, but when we talk about shameful topics or shameful things that we've done or shameful things others have done to us, it inherently makes you feel a sense of shame. Because all of us carry around shame. What did Adam and Eve do whenever they ate of the fruit? What was the first thing they did? They saw, yeah, we need to cover this up. So they hid from one another, and then they went and hid from God. That's what sin does. That's why somebody who's been horribly abused will go like this through life, because they're hiding from everything, because this out here hurts you. Um, why is it so hard to confess your deepest, darkest secrets or your sins? Because of shame. Because, guys, it's shameful to mention these things. It's uncomfortable to mention these things. But what does the verse right before this say to do? Don't practice the darkness, but expose it. Now, it's shameful to do this. But look at what he says in the next verse. 
But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes what? Guys, this stuff over here is no longer my darkness. This stuff over here is my light. Do you want to know what I do in our church? I lead groups for men who grew up getting abused like me. And I tell them my story. And I listen to their story. And I walk them through a biblical process of healing from this stuff. Okay, good. We didn't have an earthquake. Um, All this junk, the more open and honest I can be about my darkness, the brighter it shines for people. The more disarming it is for people to feel like they can share their junk. So guys, if I don't expose this stuff though, if I don't talk about it, if I just keep it in and sit in the shame, does it ever become a tool for ministry? Let me tell you something, it's been a hard year for me. This has been a process for me to get to this point where I believe this. Whenever you grow up and don't believe in God and then suddenly you do believe in God but you minimize your abuse and then you find out later in life how bad the abuse was and how it did affect you and you have to reassess every relationship you've ever had and you realize that you've never really loved anybody and never really let anybody love you and you have to think through your whole life and you've got all this regret and you know you think back on those drug years and all the crap you did and like all the people you hurt and how none of that would have happened if a tree would have just fallen on those guys that abused you and it never would have happened. How, you know, God was good whenever all that didn't matter, but now that this stuff matters and really did hurt me really, really bad, how can God be good and still allow something like that to happen to a three, four, five-year-old little kid? Whenever you get counseling and work through this stuff, guys, it's hard to view God as good whenever you realize how bad you were wounded and how if He had just done something, He could have made it stop. I got so angry at God earlier this year um, I got counseling, first off, uh, last year, really struggled in my relationship with God after an anger, deep-seated anger with God. I sat across from my, one of my mentors, and I told him that I finally identified how angry I was at God. And you know what he told me? He said, I've been in exactly the same place, and he had been abused too. It's Robert. Um, he said, I've been in exactly the same place, and I felt exactly like you did. Like, why didn't God just take this away? whenever I first started working through it. But he said, you know where I am now? I'm 30 years in to have gotten help. And now looking back, I thank God that that abuse happened to me. And I looked at him like he had three heads. But he said, the reason I do and the reason I'm okay with it is because I think back over the 30 years since I got help myself and I see name, I, I remember names and I see faces and I see changed lives of people who I've been able to help because I've been open about my garbage. Guys, all of us have darkness inside of us, but if we give it over to God, guess what God makes it? Light. And what does Jesus say you shouldn't do with light? Put it under a dadgum bowl. How you doing? I'm fine. Putting your light under a bowl. I got three chairs up here. Um... This is uh, something I want you guys to think about for your cabinet discussions tonight, uh, which I don't know how the cabinets are broken down. Um, 
but I would recommend getting in small groups with people that you're going to have an ongoing relationship with. So maybe people from your group uh, that you came here with. Um, if anybody doesn't have a group, uh, I'm happy to get together with you. Uh, I'll be out on my porch if you need to come sit and talk to somebody. Um, but we've got time set aside for cabin discussions tonight. I've got three chairs up here, okay? These represent three different types of people, three people that are in different places. In chair number one, this is a person who doesn't have a relationship with God and doesn't have healthy relationships with other people. It doesn't, doesn't really think they need them. Um, and so you've never really thought through this. Uh, and I understand you know, some of you are just investigating a relationship with God that are here this weekend. Uh, not everybody here has made a commitment to follow Jesus. Guys, I'm, I'm really, really happy you're here, if that's you. Like, I'm really happy you're here. It's an honor for me to be able to share with you. But I just want you to ask, is this the chair that I'm in? And that's okay, okay? That's okay. God will meet you wherever you are. He met me on a couch about to kill myself. He'll meet you here. It's okay. But that's chair one. Chair number two. Okay, this is a person who maybe goes to church who uh, loves God, who's trying to serve God, who's trying to follow God, but they're not comfortable being open. They're just not comfortable. They're not there. Like, there's too much shame associated with this. They're not there. They still have secrets. Um, that's chair two, okay? Now, I didn't mention, but chair two, you don't know it if you're in chair two, but you don't have healthy relationships. More than likely. Because healthy relationships come through vulnerability and being open and walking in the light. If we're not walking in the light, if we're not confessing, if we're not open, we don't have fellowship with one another. That was the scripture we just looked at. So you go to church and you have a relationship with God, but guys, you don't have fellowship like God intends you to have fellowship. Okay? Chair number three. This is the chair we want to get to, guys. Oh, and I didn't mention, chair two, you can have what you think are open, healthy relationships with people, but maybe not with God, too. So you don't have people and God. It's just, you know, it's one of the others unhealthy. This third chair, though, you got a, you got a loving, healthy relationship with God, and you uh, are comfortable sharing your junk. You're okay. Um, and this is, this is where we want to get, okay? I'm hitting this hard because, guys, you cannot have healthy community without vulnerability. One of the amazing things about being part of a community that is okay sharing whatever is the lost world out there sees that, and they see that despite the whatever, there's still love, and guess what that is to them? Very, very attractive and very, very free. And guys, uh, that's the last lesson we're going we're gonna to deal with uh, how all this relates to reaching lost people. Um, but that's, uh, that's about all I got tonight. I'm trying to think. Um, so in your cabin discussions, let me uh, grab the questions for that real quick. Uh, number one in your cabin discussion uh, was there anything said tonight, and if uh, you want to write these down,
Was there anything said tonight that really challenged you or changed your perspective? That's question number one. Was there anything said tonight that really challenged you or changed your perspective? Uh, question number two. Uh, which chair do I believe in? Uh, I believe I'm in and why? Question number two is which chair do I believe I'm in right now and why? Uh, question number three, what am I ready to commit to changing? Question number three is what am I ready to commit to changing? And question number four is what can the people in this group do to help me? Question number four is what can the people in this group do to help me? Okay, and one last thing. Uh, I want every single person in this place to please get out a pen or your phone, even if you didn't just write out the questions. I want every single person to please get this out. And I want you to take down my contact info. Um, because anytime I go and speak about sexual abuse of any kind, there are people in the audience who have been abused who have never told anyone. And you have never heard anyone come in and talk about this topic. People have this false idea that this doesn't happen. Guys, the truth is there's a bunch of people in here who have been abused. Statistically, it's like a large percentage, okay? We'll just say that. Uh, so I want everybody to get out and write my email address down, please. And if you want to connect on the others, you can. But I want every single person to write it down because if I say, if you were sexually abused, write my email address down. Nobody's going to do it if they were abused because they're super ashamed and they never told anybody. So that's why I get everybody to do it, okay? And so if you want to talk to somebody and you don't feel comfortable talking to anybody else, you're welcome to email me. You can do it anonymously. I don't care. Uh, but I can help you with some resources and give you a little bit of direction. Um, and so that's just there, okay? Uh, if you want to talk to me here, that's fine too. But most of the time, people don't want to. Um, that's okay. So I'm going to pray for us. And do, do you guys need to say any other instructions or anything? Rick? One by one. One by one? Okay, we do a song? Yep. Okay. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to do a song, okay? Father God. Man, it's going to be a good weekend, God. I pray for your spirit to move among us. Uh, I'm excited about talking about loving you and loving one another and loving the lost the rest of this weekend. Uh, Father, I, I love working with college students and young adults, God, because they're so zealous for you. They're still making decisions that are going to affect their whole lives. You know, I talked with some guys earlier that are planning to go plant a church. And it's so exciting, God, to see these guys moving and doing stuff like this. And I know you're going to do big things with so many people in this room. But, Father, I just pray for life change this weekend. God, it's, it's, it's one thing to come to a retreat and teach a few lessons, God. I, but I really want this to be a turning point for a lot of people this weekend. And so I just pray for you to move in our hearts, God. And, and God, I pray you bless our cabin discussions tonight. Uh, Father, I pray that people can be open, that they'll get to a point in their life where they can use their darkness as a light, and uh, God, that you will just bring healing and
purpose and passion. God, and, and, and God, that you'll just use this group for ministry to reach a lost and hurting world. Father, may we not be lights that hide under a bowl, but God, may we shine bright. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.